The sermons that I enjoy most are conversations, they're good conversations, where the truth of God comes in. Uh, they're not, in my mind, best serve as simply lectures, because then that tends to make it feel like, well, here's the person that has all the answers and everybody else is just hoping to figure it out. I guarantee you, most of the people delivering sermons needed that information that week while they were studying just as much, if not more, than anyone who will listen to them deliver the content that they've collected and prayed over. So this is as much for me as it is for you. Uh, but I was thinking today there's a way that you could help me make this as interactive as possible. Uh, I'd like to ask you to give me some one-word answers to this question. And I'm just going to kind of tuck them away into my mind. But as I share the things that God's put on my heart, I'd like to have in mind where you're coming from. I'd like to have some of your thoughts you might be able to touch on, see the things that you're thinking now that God might be able to speak to. So what is a great one-word description for you or for someone else? It doesn't have to be yourself personally. So if you shout out something, don't judge everybody. What's a good one-word description for marriage? Love. Love? Cooperation. Cooperation? Compromise. Commitment? Compromise. Compromise? Teacher. Teacher? Holiness. Holiness? Sacrifice. Oh, a double sacrifice at the same time. We have a winner. <laughs> All right. That must be good. All right. I'm going to work that one out. That guy's wobbling. If the mic goes this way and I go this way, well, just bear with me. Stan doesn't want to cooperate. Um, hi, I'm Dave. I like volleyball. Um, anything else? Hard. Hard. Crucible. Fidelity. Crucible. Marriage. One word. Unity. Dying to self. Dying to self. Well, it's not one word, but we'll take it anyway. It's fine. Dying to self is three words. Yeah. Hyphenated, maybe. Then you could, yeah. Oh, you have one? A metaphor. metaphor. Right. It symbolizes something else, something even bigger. Ian? Perseverance. Perseverance. Right. Good. Commitment. Good. Financier. A financier, yes. There's many roles, many hats to wear in marriage. Refining. Refining. Yeah, now we could have taken any one of these words and applied it to our relationship to Jesus, right? Think back through everything that was said, because it is a relationship. It's a binding marriage style to becoming one relationship. And so we're here to celebrate a baptism. And all I wanted to talk about is why baptism is basically a wedding ceremony. And how those things should inform each other. Because I have a feeling that some of us are investing so much in our marriage or in our relationships if we're dating or engaged or in seeking someone. Because we know if you don't do that, it's going to fall apart. And you realize as you go a little further, like you find out something about this person. Oh, I have to work with that now. That's, that's a new accommodation in our relationship. It's an ongoing process of growing together and struggling and whatnot. But some people are great at that and don't realize Christ wants just as much, if not more, of that from you to build your relationship with Him. So we can emphasize the marriage vows and the commitment and de-emphasize the ongoing relationship with Jesus. Well, I'm saved. Okay, well, you're married. Just because you're married doesn't necessarily mean it's going well. It doesn't mean it's going poorly either. It's just a statement of 
being bound together in a beautiful, beautiful way. So I'd like to look at that relationship together, and um, I'd like to start with kind of an unusual scripture. So feel free to turn with me if you'd like to read it for yourself. I will read it if you just like to listen. It's in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, I think there's still a Gospel of Matthew back there too. So if you're looking for something to read on your lunch break, uh, a pocket-sized Bible to carry with you, to read at Panera, or if you want to have a little Bible study and don't feel like carrying all your notes, those pocket-sized Gospel of Matthews are awesome. Um, I personally think the Gospel of Matthew is a great introduction to the full Gospel. There's so much in that one book that um, I'd love to have us be uh, as familiar with it as possible. So feel free to grab a copy if you'd like. But Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, this is a very unusual scripture I recognize for how to start off a baptism ceremony, a, a baptism meditation, which is what this is to kind of prepare us and uh, our friend Greg, wherever he may be sitting. I lost him. Greg, where are you? Raise your hand, brother. Greg, this morning, is taking the step of faith, right. and we're excited. Can I help? <laughs> Maybe. We'll see when we get a little bit closer. We'll see when we get a little bit closer. Matthew 1.18. You can help by reading with me in Matthew chapter 1. Like I said, this is a little bit unusual. Bear with me. Hear where I'm going with this. Matthew 1.18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So this is the Christmas story, the incarnation story. Jesus, what does this have to do with baptism? Because in the Jewish culture, they understood something which our American culture has let go. And so I'm hoping to reclaim that this morning. Do you recognize that Joseph and Mary were simply betrothed? They weren't yet married. Yet when he was unsure about what to do, what was the step that he had to take to break it off? A full divorce before even being married. Because the concept of binding together and promising was so strong that you needed a divorce to simply break off an engagement. You hadn't even been married yet. But the promise had been made. And so the wedding ceremony was not the moment that you made your promises. The commitment to each other, even at the family level, you know, parents on behalf of children, all those sorts of, that promise was the binding promise. Do you see how we don't have this as part of our contemporary culture? We view everything in the dating realm, everything in the engagement realm, and sadly, even lots of times in the marriage realm, as flexible and temporary. Very casual about our commitments. What if we viewed our promises to Jesus as so binding that it would take us saying, I hate you and reject you, Jesus, and want to sever myself from you in a spiritual divorce, rather than follow through on what I've promised? It's like a whole other level. <laughs> it's a whole other level. 
See, in a wedding, the people aren't falling in love that day. They are making a visible, public proclamation of what they have already promised. And did that promise count or didn't it? Well, here it did. We finalized this. So a baptism is, is a wedding ceremony. We're here to celebrate Craig's wedding to Jesus. Is that weird? A little. But that's the point. I want us to think about it in a little bit of like a different way. This is his moment to say, Jesus, I love you more than anyone else. I promise for the rest of my life, till death do us part, and then for eternity after, to make you my one and only beloved. And any marriage here on earth, any relationship here on earth, any church um, connection and coming here pales in comparison to the true love of us who are the bride to Christ who is the groom. This is the imagery in scripture that we're given. He's the groom. We're the bridegroom. Whether we're male or female, the church is seen as the beloved. What does Jesus do? He pursues his beloved. He comes after them. He sees the one who he loves, his bride, and he woos her, and he pursues her, and he's like, I love you. Do you love me? And that's the moment that we have to make a choice for faith. That's like the proposal. That's down on one knee. Here's a ring. Do you love me? Jesus asks us. And some people say, no. I, I can't love you. I'm too busy. I, I don't love you more than these other things. I don't know you enough. How could I know if I love you? But others, when they feel that tug on their heart, Jesus says, do you love me? And I, yeah, I do. But it doesn't stop there. Then Jesus leads us forward. He says, will you commit to me? You want to get married? Forever and ever and ever and always? Past till death do us part because there is no death that stops our relationship and our love with Jesus? And we say, yeah. And he says, okay, we're going to use water. <laughs> this is the equivalent. We're going to symbolize dying to ourselves and the sacrifice that it takes to become one with someone else. I would love for baptism and our faith and our, our concept of that to remind us of what our lifelong internal love affair with Jesus is supposed to be all about. And so if there are people in this room that haven't yet had Jesus propose, if he hasn't brought you to that moment, that's okay. God loves the whole world. Jesus died for us. He will pursue you. He may even this morning get down on one knee and say, because of that cross, the empty cross there in the back of the room, um, I commit my life to you if you'll have me. But there may be others of us that have said yes and haven't yet sealed the deal, so to speak, in a ceremony. Well, if we've already promised, why not pledge? Why not take that step and say, yes, Jesus, you and me forever, for always. That's what baptism is all about. What if the minute you started coming to church, you were bound to be a Christian forever? Like, well, I'm not, I'm not ready for that kind of commitment. <laughs> well, that's sadly how we approach our relationships with each other too often. I'm not ready for that kind of commitment. 
So then you want to live with a hope of commitment, but not committing. In marriage, it's a very tenuous way to move forward, to not know if we're committed to each other. With Jesus, it's an impossible thing to move forward without commitment because he sees right to our heart. <laughs> so we can say, oh, yeah, sure, I love you, but if he says, I'm reading your, your mind right now, I'm, I'm seeing your heart, your heart's not in it. Either we're for each other or not for each other, but he'll know. So with Christ, there's no middle ground. There's no opposite. There's only moving forward. And I, I wish that level of commitment would be reflecting. You know, being Christian isn't dating Jesus. It's marrying him. But if you think about Christianity as a whole, it seems too easy to think of many people just sort of like casually dating. Like, I'm trying Jesus out. What a disrespectful thing to do. Would you say that to the person you're dating? Let's date. I want to try you out. How disrespectful. So we don't say that. But maybe are we doing that? Being Christian is not a dating relationship. And it's not simply till death to us part. It's an eternal commitment. Being a Christian is not just spending time with Jesus. We spend lots of time with other people. Doesn't mean we're married to them. I'm married to one woman for life. And all the other people that I spend time with somehow kind of like orbit around that central union. And that's how it is with me and Jesus. Even my wife and our family are in orbit around that central union between me and Christ. And that's how it should be. And that's beautiful. Because he loves me. And he would do anything for me. And he loves you and would do anything for you. But he does not want to date. And he does not want to be used. And he doesn't want to be in a casual relationship. He doesn't want to be tried out. He says, here I am. I've given my entire life. I've you everything. You need to make your decision as to whether or not we'll be together. But I love you. So I've proclaimed my love to the extent I can. Dying for you and for all your sins. You have to respond. So I'm not going to force my love on you. I'm just going to offer. This is baptism. This is our faith. This is love. This is the love story of God the Father. This is our union with Christ. If you remember the Great Commission, Jesus uh, tells the disciples to go out. Right? We're going to get to the baptism part of this Great Commission. But there's more than that. I hope you know. This is also in Matthew. Matthew 28, 18. So those little pocket Matthews have this in it as well, which is wonderful. It's like the last thing that Jesus says. We, we looked at the first thing that Jesus did, revolved around in his story. Joseph's need to commit to what, the, what God was doing. But here's Jesus' last words. Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them. And teaching as part of marriage is learning from each other, absolutely. Teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And Jesus isn't looking for a casual relationship. Discipleship is not temporary or casual. It's permanent and eternal and beautiful. Teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always 
to the very end of the age. So there's many things we could talk about, and this is not just the only passage we'll look at, but if you recognize that we're baptizing into the, what's the next word? Into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in baptism, we take on the name of our beloved. As in our culture, often, not always, but often, the woman will take on the name of the husband as her last name. That is a, a cultural kind of tradition that has grown from roots like this. That has a Judeo-Christian kind of root because when we're baptized into Christ, it's into his name. So I would be, I guess, David Barclay Stratton Jesus or something. You know, Nancy Lou Stratton Jesus. So we're baptized and we take on the name. We don't often wear rings, but some people do wear crosses. Some people have jewelry or things. Or we, we identify a little bit. But that's what's happening here. We're taking on, Greg, you're taking on the name of your beloved. Which means that he is in the driver's seat of this relationship and is inviting you to join, just saying yes. So therefore, he'll lead, he'll offer, he'll suggest, he'll challenge, he'll serve and sacrifice on your behalf. And your job is to say, I'm with you. Let's do this together. Here I am. Let's love one another forever and ever. The three scriptures that most clearly use this language of the bridegroom and the bride, I wanted to read for us, just so that you don't think I'm making all this stuff up. Because after all, I am just Dave who likes volleyball. But the Bible is God's inspired word and truth. So in whatever way I can deliver that to you and to us this morning, uh, let's let the word of God speak. Don't turn to these. I'll just read them quickly for us. In John chapter 3, it says, A discussion arose between some of John the Baptist's disciples and another Jew over ritual purification. They came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was with you, Jesus, across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing. As we're here, we're, we're following in this tradition that John and Jesus and our faith has given us. And all are going over to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John clearly knew his role. He was just a bride of Christ, but the bridegroom was here. He stepped into their world. He steps into our lives still. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Christ is our husband. And it says we win the same passage, who's willing to lay down his life for his wife. That's the relationship we have. We don't have an intellectual relationship with Jesus anymore. You have a simply intellectual relationship with a spouse or somewhere in dating or somewhere engaged to. And the last one, speaking about the end times, it's in Revelation 22, 17. John writes, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. 
And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So if we're going to think about our marriage to Christ, this union, this metaphor, uh, the way we're given to think. And there are other ways to think about our relationship to Christ as well. There's seeds and growing and there's death and life. But we're given marriage as a way we can relate to the spiritual thing that happens within us. What do you think, if we're to talk specifically about you and Jesus, what makes that relationship healthy and good? Can you give me some more one-word answers, whether they're the same as before or whether they're different? When you think about your union with Christ, what makes it great? Knowledge. Knowledge. Get to know. Say again. Harmony. Harmony. What? Say again. Unconditional. Unconditional. Right. Here I am, all of me, Lord. Yep. Communication, right? Sustaining, good. Peace, yeah. Attention, right? Us and Christ, challenging. Yep, absolutely. Who doesn't love a good challenge? How? Hope. Hope, right. Good. Can we flip the coin? What are the things that undermine our relationship with Jesus? Disobedience. Busyness. Good. Ignorance. Idleness, did I hear? Idols. Right. Right. Other loves. Pride. Sally. Again, we've inherited some of that, so let's not take too much blame or feel too badly about our casual uh, approach to faith at first. That's what we're taught. It's what we're being raised in. Everything's casual. Like if this was even like 30 years ago, I'd be hearing a suit and tie. Like dress is casual, talk is casual, everything's casual. So, okay, that's what we're growing up in, but that's not where we want to stay. That's not the fullness to take him lightly. We need to grow past that. Yeah. Mm. I would say both in marriage and in faith, these lifelong and lifelong and eternal relationships, you need both your words and your work to match up. You gotta have both. You gotta be able to talk the talk and walk the walk. You have to be able to have acts of service, but you also need to just have mutual enjoyment and adoration. There should be times where you're not measuring your relationship with Jesus by anything you're doing, but you're just thinking, man, he is so beautiful. It doesn't matter what we're doing. Everything pales in comparison. You just get a glimpse of your groom. 
Man, he loves me? Why would he love me? This makes no sense. Because he actually knows me. Where I've been and what I've done and what I think. Like, wow. But if it stays just as this kind of like internal, private spirituality, it's not a full relationship. Any more than thinking about your spouse in glowing terms, but never lifting a finger to help them is going to lead to a good marriage, because it's not. It's bold, it's the words, it's the work. It's our adoration, and it's our commitment and our service. So do we have that in our faith? Maybe. Do we have that in our relationships? Maybe. I think they're both supposed to teach each other how to be. And we'll be stronger in one than another. And I'm encouraging us this morning to merge those things together and recognize how good both can be. I think it's critical and important for us as a church, too, right now. You know, our family has moved. Usually with a wedding, there's a move involved in some way as well. Someone leaving family, moving in, or two houses becoming one, or relocating for a job, or whatever. I mean, there's often moving involved, especially the first few years. When you're in a new place, you need to establish your new rhythms. You decide, well, how are we going to live here? With moving, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a new place to organize. And unpacking goes on for, feels like, ever. We probably still have boxes we've never unpacked 17 years later, right? You know, that kind of thing. Well, our church family has moved. We've undergone that kind of drastic, radical shift. And we need to kind of reestablish ourselves here. And the way you do it in a good marriage is you say, well, what needs to be done? <laughs> and also, how can we be together? I love you, and I love this new place that we're in. The word and the work. But we need that too, right? So I think, Greg, you're giving us an opportunity to think about what we need to recommit ourselves to. This is the same way sometimes when you go to a wedding ceremony, it reminds you of your own vows. Like, oh, right. This marriage is this full-fledged, rich, complex, beautiful thing. I hope that baptisms do that for us always. And, and not every week that we have a baptism will the whole message be about baptism. Because it's my prayer that we'll have these all the time. I'd love to have to fill this tank every single Sunday morning and just one after another after another because that's how Jesus and his disciples experienced it. So many people saying, Christ, I am for you. Um, but on this first baptism in this new place, which I've been looking forward to, Greg and I have been talking, looking forward to this now for well, maybe a month or two, saying, I think we get to the center. That's going to be the time where I want to take that step. I'm thinking, oh, awesome. I can already look forward longingly to our first baptism in the center. But on this first day, can we remember what it means? Can we please be challenged to live up to this wonderful commitment? Can we recognize what we're going to need to do for Greg as he and Jesus take this step of pledging and vowing? This is not a small thing, and this is not a casual thing. This is, the ring is on, I will love no other, till the day I die, and then forever after always. Ah, it's a beautiful thing, it's a beautiful thing, and Lord willing, we'll grow into this and we'll be able to celebrate this many more times. Greg, you will be happy to know also the celebration will not be painful. We filled it with warm water this morning, so you are in for a treat.
I'm going to ask you to stand up, Greg, please, where you are. You stay right where you are for now, but just stand for me. Can you give us some thought as to just why you love Jesus and why you're taking this step with him today? me. He loves you. On this day of commitment, how can I phrase this in a very wedding-ish way? Do you promise, Greg, <laughs> to keep Jesus for yourself, to, to love him only forever, even beyond your death? Do you promise to give him the time that he wants to spend with you? Do you Pledge to not run after other sources of acceptance or happiness or uh, self-fulfillment or self-entitlement? Do you, do you promise to talk to him in prayer all the time? Do you promise to brag about him to the people you know? Do you promise to do the little things I don't know if he needs dishes to be done, but he probably needs you in small ways to like hook up sinks and faucets. That, that's the practical things that you'll do for him. The equivalent of keeping up the house with, with a marriage uh, for others, not just for yourself. Um, do you promise to build a family with him so that the people that are around you are influenced by your faith and hear about him off your lips? Do you promise to let him talk to you through the Bible, through sermons, through podcasts, or whatever, so that you can hear what he wants to say to you? If you do, respond with, I will. Yeah, right? That's what this is about. It's an I do moment. It's an I will moment. It's, yes, Jesus, it's you and me. And then all the other relationships just go into orbit around that. That's your son. That's your core. That's your anchor. And it's good. It's healthy. It works. Everything orbits nicely when Jesus is the center. Then I'd like to pray over you this morning. And uh, if someone could go and get the kids and bring them in, I think we might have someone else joining us as well. So Greg, you might not be alone in making this commitment, which is exciting to hear. But... Let me say a pray, prayer over you specifically. I know you've been looking forward to this day. and I want you to know that this is Jesus saying, hey, you want to get married? And you just being like, yes, it's you and me forever. It's a special day, and I'm excited for this and what it'll mean, what that next stage means for you. So just let me pray for you together. Dear Jesus, you are in this room with us. This is not a wedding ceremony where you are absent. You've been with Craig and near him and, and around him and before him uh, every step of his life and calling to him and wooing him and providing for him and protecting him and loving him. And so I thank you this morning for his response to your love. I thank you for his desire to 
commit anything and everything to you today. I pray that you would teach him what uh, a union with you can look like, how good it can be, that you would know everything about him and that he would know everything about you and that you would extend grace in every way and that he would obey in every way and that you would give him your mind and your thoughts and you'd start sharing thoughts and that it would get to the point where you and he can finish each other's sentences because you know each other so well over such a long period of time. Jesus, you are telling him, come, follow me, be baptized into my name, and I thank you for his heart that is soft enough to say yes, open enough to put himself second, excited and hopeful enough to want you and the future that you will have together. So I ask your blessing on Greg. Jesus, I pray that all the ways that you ministered to people in the bodily form that you had here for 30 plus years, I pray that you would bring that to this relationship. I pray that you would heal when healings are needed. I pray that you would provide when providing is needed. I pray that you would bring fun and laughter and joy all throughout the relationship. I pray that you'd be grace-filled and grace-giving every time it's needed. This is who you are to us, Jesus. You are our Savior. You died for our sins, and all we can do is just respond with, we love you. How can we be with you? So I ask your blessing. I ask your cleansing. I ask your anointing of your Holy Spirit and your indwelling in a new way from this day forward to our brother, Craig. And we pray it as you commanded us, obediently to you. We pray it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.